Welcome to the Weekly Deep Dive Podcast on the Add-On Education Network, the podcast where we take a look at the weekly Come Follow Me discussions and try to add a little insight and unique perspective. I am your host, Jason Lloyd, here in the studio with our friend and this show's producer, Nathaniel Piper. Wow. It's actually Kenneth Nathaniel Piper the first. The, f- the first? I threw that on there. Okay. I thought I the the Kenneth has been going yeah, on for a Kenneth while. Yeah, the Kenneth's been going on for a while. We've got my grandpa, dad, and my eldest son. We're all Kenneths. Is is it full Nathaniel or Yeah. It, nice. I E L baby. Very nice. Nobody calls me that. <laughs> Nobody used to call you that. Dude, not tonight. <laughs> it's on the air now. What can I do? You know emails are coming in. Yeah, right. Emails Dear Nathaniel. The idea if if that is the re- if that is the way to actually like spur emails coming in and sure, whatever. How you, how you doing, Nate? Living the dream, dog. What's up? I'm I'm excited. It, it's a it's a little hard. We've got First Nephi sixteen through twenty two. It's twenty pages, I think, of the Book of Mormon, and it's twenty pages of of introduction to Leahona and and bows breaking and trying to get food and building boats and crossing the sea and just a lot happening. I don't know. It, it's, it's how it is. Come follow me. In fact, uh, we were talking about come follow me. Yeah, we just, again, if, if you'll allow us, Jason, five minutes. I know we have a lot to talk about tonight. Five minutes. No, yeah, by all means, I think I, this is important to the discussion. I had, um, I was, I was on the app formerly known as Twitter, and th- there was a poll put up by somebody that I follow. That she posts really, really great, thought-provoking stuff about, you know, the church stuff and just trying to understand things better. And she, basically, the premise of her question was: Is has come follow me helped you find like deeper connection with the scriptures or? or hurt you out of convenience and the i think the poll ended up like 90 percent hurt or something i i don't remember the exact number so i don't want to say a definitive thing needless to say it was an overwhelming majority of people saying that it was it was not helping have them have deeper connections with it and i mean it totally just kind of got my brain asking the question why and also being kind of at least proud of everybody for being honest enough with themselves but but I think a lot it through the comments at least a lot of the general feedback was um again like I, I hate staying things definitively because I don't remember the specifics but the, the the comments that I read at least were very much like the convenience of this the book tells you which questions you should be asking and it says hey in this chapter here's the overview and here's here's what here's some good things to be learning from this section right like it, it almost makes it so um, convenient, but doesn't really get into like the teeth of the scriptures, right? And so is and and so I guess a lot of the comments, at least that I read and that remember more or less, were it's so nice and convenient that it's really easy to bring the family in. And they're like, hey, here's what we're reading this week. But the come follow me gives us a really great outline of how we can kind of go through this. And you're like, oh, that that does seem like a positive thing. But where's the, what's the trade-off right and so i guess my the only reason i wanted to bring this up is because also one of the comments and i think it was from the original post was a podcast isn't going to save you and i was just like amen you know like and and as somebody that we always hope that people listen to this and get something out of it 
I feel like we've we've done a good job of, you know, prefacing why we do this in the past, which is you and I love having these discussions really on the recording and off the recording, right? But we would hope that our whole goal is, like I think the goal of Come Follow Me is, if there's a nugget in here, or if there's if there's just an if there's a piece of this that spurs a bigger thought on your end, our, our whole goal for this would be hopefully that leads you to go back to the text, that that leads you to go back to your own searching and pondering and praying about this so that you can enjoy, you know, all of the incredible revelation that you get from this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And we're just, uh, more than anything, we just kind of wanted to take our our opportunity here to retestify of, the scriptures and the text and that that's where you're going to have the profound if you and and i'm sure all of our listeners know this already but but reading through this thing it kind of got my brain thinking because we have our complaints about come follow me which there's a lot of time where we're like man they just like this week they're like they've just crammed in so much stuff this week they're like what are we doing and next week is like two two chapters. chapters and you're like it's you know not to be critical but kind of we're kind of critical of this. We're just like, wait, how did this get broken up like this? You know, we, we'd we'd run into sections in the Old Testament where entire and entire chapters or sections that we thought were important were left out, and and maybe the disconnect there is not seeing the importance, understanding the symbolism of the story, where where something in our perception looked very important or looked like it was worth covering in in the perception of those putting together the guide. I mean, you've got so much to cover in such a little amount of time. Sometimes you have to stack up a bunch of chapters. Sometimes you have to sure. leave some things out. But and so maybe the lesson was is instead of us being critical of "Come Follow Me," it's just it's that's just another way of saying. Hopefully, hopefully, if all of these things are are just helping provide a, a spark or a a great reason to dive back into the scriptures with a starting point or or something else and and. We follow the Come Follow Me because it's just a convenient schedule, you know, but there are times, there are weeks like this where we're like, oh, man, there's so much good stuff this week. And then next week you're like, oh, there's good stuff next week too, but why Why didn't Why didn't they, why was that the cutoff, right? It's, it's Yeah, and I get it. it. I get it. It's hard to cover everything in a year, but I, I'm glad you, I'm glad you bring this up and I'm glad you bring it up with the context, Right, because if if you were to ask me how do you think "Come Follow Me" is going, I I would have expected the opposite. I would have expected an overwhelmingly positive response. I, it, it shocked me that that most people were saying it's not good. But well, having well, that for context, a very specific question though, not that it's not positive. The specific question was: Has this affected positively or negatively your scripture study personally? Right. That okay. I'm just saying that's different. And that's part of the context. That's yes. part of the context of the question. Yes. And it's part of the context of the reason why they're answering and saying in and I think I I look at come follow me more neutral and and I look at it's our approach to come follow me that if if we're looking at that lesson manual and, and it asks a few easy questions on on how to go through a discussion with our family and it takes five to ten minutes and we and we're done and move on and we never look at the scriptures, then I see where that ninety percent is coming from where we've we've replaced the scriptures with 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 a super easy discussion. 
where I see the benefit of Come Follow Me, I, again, taking a look at this and getting everybody on sync, getting Sunday school in sync, seminary in sync, home study in sync, so that everybody's talking about the same thing. And, and, and it provides us with a platform to have a podcast where we're talking about what we see during the week and, and it's going out to others. I, I had my brother who, who listened to the show and, and texted me some interesting insights with the order of events in the Book of Mormon, something I, I hadn't considered. If, if Lehi and his sons, if Lehi sends his sons to go get daughters before he has the vision of the tree of life, why then in the vision of the tree of life is he not seeing Ishmael and Ishmael's family? Why are they getting left out? And, and perhaps the order of events is a little bit differently, and Nephi's telling the story in a certain way. For But, but I, I, I'm getting lost in the weeds on this. What, what I'm trying to say is when we are having these discussions— to supplement our study in the scripture rather than replace it, I think Come Follow Me becomes a very positive experience. Totally agree. But but when Come Follow Me is a simple, you know what, I listen to my podcast for the week that check that box and I move on, or I just go through these simple questions that are in the manual, then then it's kind of negative because it removes us from the text itself. And and if I could just put a bow on my perspective anyways, when we do our show, the last thing we, we want is for this to replace your scripture study or to remove you or take you one step further away from, from the source. If anything, we want this to inspire thought, inspiration to where you go back and you see it maybe differently, or you see things that we didn't see, and, and it's a discussion, but it's because it plugged you back into it and, and you're feeling enriched because the, the, the source itself is speaking to you. I don't, I don't know. That's great. My only bow would, and I do wish come follow me had a little bit more teeth to it. Okay. That's it. It's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a fair statement. It's a fair statement. Just a little bit, just a little bit more teeth. That's all. And, and I think, I think there's history there and I, I I'm not going to go down that. We're going to, we're, we're trying to, we're the dentures. That's what we want our podcast to be, is the dentures to some of the missing teeth with Come Follow Me. That's what we should do as our opening bump. I've never heard that before. All right, let's get in. Let's get let's get into it. They, they say meat before, wait, wait, wait. Milk, milk before, before me, the meat, yeah, right? Yeah. But they do say get to the meat. I know I they mean, do. I know. You can't live on milk forever. Meat's probably hard to eat with dentures. We want to be the implants. We want to be the expensive implants to the... To the uh, to the gums of come follow me. But but even if you graduate to meal, to to meat, you know I can't eat graham crackers without milk. I mean, sure, no, <laughs> milk's still delicious. So a good glass of milk's always solid. Except I always smell it. It could be literally one day old, and I literally it's just a habit now because I've drank too much sour milk in the past, even stuff that's not expired. I know it's a funny thing, but I did it again this morning, and I in the moment it's funny you brought this up. I asked myself in the moment, why do I still do this? We got this yesterday. But I still, it's just habit now. Okay. It's good to be safe. I never smell my meat. Like, I'm always just like, cool, man. If it's rotten, it's rotten. I'm, I'm just <laughs> going to cook it a little bit longer. All right, let's get into it. Let's, get, let's get into the meat of this week. Eggs. Eggs. Oh, dude, eggs. I've, I'm sure I've eaten eggs that are That's so far That's the weirdest thing. If you're, if you're frying an egg and it's all runny on the top, I'm like, yo, man, I'm not interested. You got you gotta a little, See, little I like easy. It. You got you to, gotta, I, I like still like a easy. soft yolk. I still like a soft yolk, but I, but I, but I don't. I get weirded out a little bit when it's. Nah, all don't worry about and that, nah, dude. Go to Brazil for a couple. But then weeks. I don't even hesitate eating cookie dough, dude. It's just straight up raw. There you eggs, go. That's and I don't exactly. Even think see? twice about that. There you go. All right, we're getting into it. Sorry, guys. First Nephi. First, chapter first Nephi. We're back. 
Sorry, Nephi. I'm not. <laughs> All right. The wicked take the truth to be hard. So we're we're coming off the context here. Yeah, baby. Nephi just kind of laid it all out. And you remember he he comes back to the tent of his father from having this incredible vision. He sees I what I think is the Lord. He sees the birth of the Lord, whether the Lord's the guy sitting right next to him or whether he just sees the Lord ministering and walking around. In either case, he sees the Lord. And then he sees things that are going to happen to him things that are going to happen to his children, things that are going to happen halfway across the globe in churches that, that, that seemingly don't have much to do with them, but yet they're going to be led to interacting with his seed, the destruction of his people, almost everything all the way to the end of time, right? He sees amazing things, overwhelmed with the things that he had seen. It reminds me of the experience with uh, Joseph Smith, Doctrine and Covenant 76, Sidney Rigdon. You know, he's got to collect his strength before he can even talk to his brothers. And then he just lays it out on them. And, and you know, they say, you've said a lot of hard things. And he's like, I, I know, I know. The truth take it, the, 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 the wicked take the truth to be hard. And it just, he, he cuts. And maybe it's worth saying right here. In this instance, it actually, it actually pulls over pretty good. The, 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 the brethren repent. Brethren. The brethren. His brothers. But if you read the text, and now my brethren, but but they they repent to where Nephi has hope for them, right? And and so maybe maybe it's worth noting, Nate, and you're a big proponent of this, we'll and see. and this is the this is the whole discussion that we went with the whole "come follow me" to begin with. Okay. Maybe it's best to not pull punches. I, ne- Nephi's not afraid to lay it out the way he sees it. And and maybe if we have high expectations for our audience, sometimes we're worried that we might offend, or sometimes we're worried that, you know, I, I got to try to do this the nice way, or I got to be their friend, or I got to... And, you know, as a, as a father, for example, it's important to be engaged with your kids, to communicate with your kids, but sometimes it's also important to put your foot down and, and say no. And, and not be worried about your kids not liking you or offending them. And I think Nephi communicates some of that value here. He's, he's, There's he, a lot of wisdom to that. He doesn't compromise. There's a lot of wisdom to that. It is interesting, too, because, again, you, you, you're right. I am a big proponent of this because I, I, I have a well-documented issue with how convenient and easy we make it sometimes for for me specifically the youth in this church right I'm, and having taught youth in high school age and stuff uh one of the things that i learned right away is it's it's so healthy for everybody involved to have very high expectations and and demand greatness and people rise to the occasion when you ask a lot out of them it's part of the reason like you you said that i sometimes wish that come follow me had some more teeth to it or that we didn't give missionaries cell phones and let them call home every week, freaking sissies. But um, <laughs> but that um, that because there is something that can be gained with a little bit of pressure, man, or with or with a high expectation. So yes. By the way, too, I, I this reminded me specifically. I love a lot of the pushback that we get sometimes in our in our emails and the discussions we have. And do you want to know why? Because it then 
makes us have to go, okay, cool. Like this is, it's good to get challenged on an idea because then it makes you have to decide where am I going to go with this? Am I going to dig deeper? Some pushback that we have gotten over the years, again, well-documented on my feelings on trying to understand the sacrament has done everything in an incredible way to push me to really understand the sacrament for me. And again, like the challenge didn't make me change my mind. In fact, what it did is it, it, it has helped me really understand and lock in a, it, where my mind was going with this in the first place and gave me a really, it was the catalyst of having such a deeper connection with this. You, you and I, you and I prep for these episodes hours and hours and hours outside of what we record from pushing back against ideas and throwing out ideas over text message. And you specifically do an incredible job of d- diving into the scriptures and and challenging, and it's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight even, is, is challenging like a, hey, we've always seen this thing in this way, but as I read the text, it doesn't read that same way, and then the lights start coming on. Yes. So to highlight this, yes, I am with you, and I'm glad that 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 we are reading about circumstances like this where Nephi is just like, no, this is how it is, and I'm not trying to make this convenient, and I'm not trying to make this easy. And by the way, Nephi expects greatness. And now that he's the leader over all of all of his family, basically at this point, I appreciate Nephi going, no, we have some standards and, and expectations that I want to be met. Even if even if that forces everybody else to to rebel against him in some of these circumstances. All right, take it away. Yeah, I just we can't we can't shy away from hard things. Our hard things are gonna find us regardless. Right, in having that hard conversation, and if we're intimidated by it, it doesn't mean Nephi just dove right in and, and just laid it out. Remember, he he had to take some time to collect his thoughts before he even had that conversation. And maybe sometimes, if we're hot, we need to take a moment and make sure that we remove the emotion from the conversation. Nephi didn't go in there attacking them because they're destroying his seed and things that they wouldn't understand. Maybe we need to take a moment to step back, collect our thoughts, and and try to understand what we're thinking, what we're dealing with, but not be afraid to have those conversations either in a way that's respectful and a yeah, way that's going to help somebody. That's the point, though, is that he still got there, though. He still he didn't he didn't shy away from having that conversation. It's an intimidating thing to do, and and I think we we need to do it more. And the thing is, I think. I think life is going to be hard no matter what. It's just a different kind of hard based on the decisions that we make, right? I, learning skills, becoming good at what you do. I mean, Nate, to, to have the ear that you have and, and to be a critic and, and, and critical enough to be a producer, you have to be comfortable having those hard conversations and, and you have to tell somebody and be honest with them, because if you're not, then what kind of music are you going to produce at the end of the day? And, and, and that's hard we work. Could do, we could do a whole episode on this, but, we, but yes. It's, it's, it's hard work, right? And by the way, it's sometimes really hard conversations to be having with people that are in a vulnerable place, putting their heart out, out there to have somebody push back against certain ideas. But for what purpose? Greatness. 
And 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 if you didn't do all of that hard work to 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 be a master of your craft, to learn your skill, to to put yourself in the uncomfortable situation, to have those conversations, to get where you are at today, then how easy would it be to be to be providing for your family right now? It would be just as hard, if not harder, having to to continue working in a job that you don't feel has a future that you can barely provide for your family. It's gonna or be or that hard. I'm probably just not good at too. Like that's the, that's the other thing too. But yes, you're right. Whether whether we get an education or try to pursue something or whether we don't, either way, it's gonna lead to a hard road, and the challenges are gonna be different. The challenges that develop us are 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 one, but the challenges of being underdeveloped and trying to provide. I mean, pick pick your poison. Which which kind of hard do you want? I I prefer the the hard that that develops and and you, refines me. It's this this hints back at what we talked about so much in the Garden of Eden and everything else along the way, which is there's Short no shortcuts, cuts. right? Mm-hmm. And that and I again I appreciate you saying that usually the hard way is when we tried to take a shortcut, realize very quickly or long term, unfortunately, that that doesn't work and then still have to do it the right way, which is never easy. Climbing a mountain wasn't supposed to be easy. Returning back to the presence of God was never designed to be easy because along the way is what actually forms you and makes you what you are. I mean, to break this down in a very simple example, and maybe I'll be done with this, like learning to ride a bike is is, is challenging and, and you fall over and you fall down and it, it takes some work, right? But by the time you pick it up, I mean, look at what it enables you to do, how much faster you can get from one place, the time you get to enjoy as a kid, where if you never took the time to try to learn how to ride a bike and to take those falls, then how much harder is it to walk everywhere and how much more limited are you and having to deal with the challenges and the shortcomings that come with never learning that skill, I would say is significantly harder than than how it was to, to, to go through that, that development curve. I mean... What, what kind of hard do you want to deal with? Yep. Love it. Let's keep going. All right. Next, 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 next. This is verse 7. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, took one of the daughters of Ishmael to wife, and also my brethren took the daughters of Ishmael to wife, and also Zoram took the eldest daughter of Ishmael to wife. And thus my father had fulfilled all the commandments of the Lord which had been given to him, and also Nephi, I, Nephi, had been blessed of the Lord exceedingly. Which I think, having to take a water a daughter to wife is is as part of that being blessed to the Lord exceedingly. But note that all of this was done in the valley of Lemuel, as my father dwelt in a tent. And connecting him dwelling in the tent with the marriage of his sons, and we've already gone down this road and talked about the significance of this tent being a temple. I feel like this is a culminating moment here in this tent, the the marriages. And we've talked about this being Melchizedek priesthood. And, and I feel like this is, with the temple, the sealing power, I think there's something more significant happening here than, than, than what we talk about. Also, you'll notice in this conversation, where do the sisters of Nephi pop up? Because they're not mentioned here. When Nephi travels into the wilderness, he says they make their journey with his father and his wife, Sariah, his, 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 his mother, his, his father's wife, I think I said that wrong. And, and so by mentioning Sariah, he's not saying that he's only going to be mentioning the males of his family. He has no problem mentioning his mom. But then he says, and my other brothers, which consisted of Laman, Lemuel, and, and Sam. 
And then when we're getting to the point where they get to board the boat, which we'll be talking about here, he talks about how his father had two sons in the wilderness, Jacob and Joseph. And at some point he mentions his sisters, but never by name. And and where are they in this where whole deal? They're, they're not mentioned here in the marriage that's taking place. Did they not get married? When were they born? And how come their, their birth is never mentioned? And as I was thinking about this family situation, this kind of can be in, intriguing to me. There was a, a Rastus Snow gave a talk back in the late 1800s, and he said that the prophet Joseph Smith had said that Ishmael's sons married into the family and Lehi's sons married Ishmael's daughters. So when we talk about Ishmael's sons having married into the family, remember Ishmael's sons were married before Nephi and Lehi, sorry, Nephi, Laman, Lemuel, and Sam go back to, to get Ishmael and his family. To me, it almost makes the most logical sense. The reason why Ishmael's family is chosen is because Ishmael's sons married Nephi's sisters. Hmm. Before the whole wilderness. Before the whole wilderness. They weren't born in the wilderness. Jacob and Joseph were born in the wilderness. If their family's a little bit older, how many kids they have in the wilderness? And these, they would have been really, how come he mentions the sisters more? In a, I think these sisters are older than Nephi, potentially even older than Laman and Lemuel. If, if they're a marrying age, if they're married and they have kids, because Ishmael's sons already have families, it would make the most sense that why, why else would you pick Ishmael and his family? Because he's going back for his daughters, and, and it's convenient, it's going to work, because they also have sisters that are going to—sisters. Ishmael's going to have daughters that are going to work for Nephi and his brothers for, for them to marry. Interesting. Checks Just, out. Kind of fits. Yeah, totally does. Just something to think about. All right, we're gonna we're gonna keep going. To kind of close out this chapter of this tent, uh, verse ten, and it came to pass that as my father rose in the morning and went forth to the tent door, to his great astonishment, he beheld on the ground a ball of curious workmanship, and it was of fine brass, and within one within the ball were two spindles, the one and the one pointed the way which we should go into the wilderness. And it came to pass that what uh, that we did gather together whatsoever things we should carry, and we grabbed our seeds, and they departed back in the wilderness. So this is ending their their encampment. They're going to travel, and and you got to understand how this journey works. They travel for a couple of days, and they stop, set up the tent, and 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 make a stay of that valley, grab supplies, and then they're going to make another little hop, travel for a while, find a good location, camp there for a while, and 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 so they go in this 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 long period of time. But going to the Liahona and this description, something stuck out to me that, I, that I'd never really considered before. There's this ball of curious workmanship. And, and Nate, you asked me on, on the way up here, down here, how big this ball was, right? And, and I, don't, I don't know that it gives us too much, too much context to be able to even d- d- determine the size that they, they're holding it i think it's not so heavy that they can't hold it and work it and but I are think they that, holding it in their arms and, and that's a good question I, I it's something to think about it's this round ball of curious workmanship and it was a fine brass and within the ball were two spindles and i, and I was thinking about this two spindles and it says and the one pointed the way whether we should go into the wilderness and then that made me think what does the other one do why have two spindles? Why have one that works 
to show you which way you're supposed to go, and then the other one what? Just spins free? What's the point of two spindles? And when we talk about this, they're going to refer to it in, in a couple places as a compass. And, and we all know what a compass is. At least we all think we know what a compass is, right? It, it, it works magnetically, and you've got this, this spindle inside of it that points north. And when I think of what a compass is, and I think of the Liahona, to me there's a disconnect. One, if it's a magnetic compass, it's always pointing north, not, not the direction they should go. In fact, they weren't traveling north. They were traveling in a southeast direction. And they, they go south for a while, and then they're going to change directions and cut east. So, so why would the compass be pointing east or south or different directions depending on where they needed to go? The other thing about the compass is it's just got a single spindle that, that points that direction. You, you don't have two. So what is this second spindle for? What's the purpose? What does it, what's it need to do? And this kind of got me thinking about it. And, and I looked, you know, did they even have compasses back then? What, where, where is this coming from? And, and I looked in the Old Testament, we talk about compasses but not in the same way. In fact, I even looked through the Book of Mormon for the word compass to see where it showed up in, in, in all the scriptures, and most of the time it's actually consistent with how the Old Testament uses it. And in the word in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, it's a very common word that's translated as compass, means to encircle about. And, and it comes from your architectural compass and your cart, cartographer, the, the map maker's compass, right? They, they used a compass to, to make maps and, and to draw architectural plans. And this is a very different compass than, than the compass that we're familiar with that we use that points north in the navigational. We think of this, and it's telling them which way they should go, and we think, oh, it's navigational, it's this compass. But here's the thing. The navigational compass, the magnetic compass, was not invented in this part of the world until the Middle Ages, until maybe 1,200 years A.D., a long time after Lehi and his family. So we're taking this word compass that seems familiar to us in our terms, and we're trying to apply that to this because it's, it's providing them directions that you go. Of course, it's a compass. It's got to be a compass, but we're looking at it from a very modern lens. The difference between a geographical geomagnetic compass that points north and an architectural or a cartographer's compass is that a cartographer's compass has two spindles, where the compass geographical magnetic only has one. I'm like, wait a second, that sounds a lot more, if it's got two spindles, and, and the word spindle, it, it means a rod, or, or, or something that you can spin or turn, just like, a, just like the compass that you use in archaeology. Archaeology. Um, Cartography? Architecture. Cartography. Is it, it, it you fix the two spindles, the two rods to one point, and you spin them, you turn them to, to draw circles. And the purpose of, of the compass is you can draw a perfect circle by fixing one point, and the other one is always the same distance in relation to it. It's kept in that to where you can turn it, and no matter where you go, it's always kept at the same distance from it to create a perfect circle. And not only that, but if you fix that, then you can, you can use symmetry and recreate that perfect circle somewhere else. And so you can create two exact copies. 
and and this this compass it's used to to something that's encircled about or to 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 circumscribe, circumscribe. all of it yes and 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 this kind of got me thinking maybe all of this time we've been thinking about the wrong compass maybe the compass that was meant here and these two spindles is is the the much older compass and as I started thinking about this being discovered at the doors of the tent, which would be outside of the veil, and this idea that to circumscribe or to enclose is what a compass is, is, is clothing something and encircling it, putting it over covering, right? Which covering is, is atonement, a covering, a, a clothing, coats of skin, covering. And, 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 and that's, outside of the veil, right? This veil that covers and clothes and the veil and the marks that it contains contains marks that are similar to what you see in architecture and what you see in cartography and what you see in 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 in, in the Liahona. And maybe the Liahona bears with it a lot more temple symbolism and symbols than what we initially gave it credit for because we kept thinking about it in terms of a geomagnetic compass rather than an architectural compass. Yeah, and, and to further your point, kind of, again, what you had brought up on our conversation is is what the symbol circumsc- or circumscribed into the plates, right? Yeah, so Don Bradley, who, I, again, I'm just very impressed with his work, did a lot of research on... on on documents during early church history. And, and there's an interview with Joseph Smith Sr. in which they was asking him about the plates, asking him about the 116 pages. And, and, and going through some of his research and what he's done, he explained that on the gold plates, there was the mark of the square and the mark of the compass. And and these are the builder's tools, and, and, and they're associated with the Yerman Thummim, which would make sense if it's also associated with the Liahona. It's the Lord's, I don't know, his his tool set, his maps. And I think if if, if this is the case, and if we want to read it this way, and, and again, I'm just, I'm looking at this and trying to understand what it is, right, and asking questions of the text. But the significance of the compass is that one point has to be fixed in order for it to work. And, and for us, isn't that God, isn't that the Spirit, that as long as, as He is fixed in our lives, we'll never be lost? And then the other one says the direction that we should go. And in geometry, we learn that in order to define a line, it takes two points. And, and I learned that as a kid trying to build a treehouse, because if you nail a step onto a tree with a single nail, that, that thing's going to be spinning around, right? In order to fix it, you need to have two points into that board to be able to, to hold it still. So I think about this again, this compass. If, if maybe it's just free-falling or, or, or moving around in this brass ball when, when it's not working, because they could clearly tell when the compass was working or not working by looking at it. But if, if, if that position became fixed, if the one point was fixed, and, and I look at that symbolically, if their lives were anchored and built on a sure foundation, if Christ was a fixed point for them, then they would always know their direction. 
because it would be in relationship to Christ, and between those two points, you could draw a straight line in the direction you needed to head. And that seems a lot more accurate for me and trying to find direction in life, not just where I need to head physically, drawing a straight line and saying, that's the direction we need to go, but it also gives us context to the writing that's being put on the ball, because is that not also helping us understand our relationship with Christ and helping us draw closer to Him? And you think about that compass, yeah, you can spread them out and you can use it to measure distances, but ultimately, the compass, you can draw it together to where those two points become one, and it's unifying. In fact, the word compass, com is with, and pas is, is paso step, to, to, to be in step with. And, and compassion comes from the same root, to, to be in step with, to feel, to, to be aligned with. And so I look at this compass, and to me, it almost has more of, it, it, it seems richer with meaning, understanding this architectural compass, because it means to be in step with God, in line with God. And that as long as He is a fixed position in your life, and, and you're not just blown about by every philosophy or tossed around in the wind, you'll always know where you need to be, or all you, you'll, you'll always know where you need to head. And, and so the compass... This Liahona just took on a completely different meaning for me this time as I was reading it through. It's awesome, and it's, I guess, why I was inspired to ask the question of how big we think this thing is. A common a common theme, if you've listened to this show for a while, is our um, constant um, attempt to understand where art and doctrine meet. Mm-hmm. And when you think of the Liahona... I mean, we, we. I think your mind immediately goes to to the Freeburg, Freeburg picture, right? Which again, like Freeburg, like is Large one softball. of is always going to be one of my favorite artists because I because of how influential his artwork was in really my early um, excitement to you know have something to comb through in during sacrament meeting, right? Before our old Book of Mormon, right? It's like yeah, right. It's like if you if you if it was you were a kid and the talk was born, you could always go look at those stripling warriors and be like, "Yeah, man, these these he men looking dudes, rad, right?" Ammon, but yeah. we all but we all think of the compass as like, yeah, the softball that has some cool stuff on it or whatever. But it so when we when we say Leona again, so much of our brains immediately go to the artwork that we've been shown, right? Which again, that is a whole other. That's a whole other conversation for a different day, right? Of how art influences what we think is doctrine and vice versa. But it is if if we if we can for a minute divorce ourselves from that that image and go, cool, what if it was a what if it was bigger? What if it was something you still could carry, but what if it was something that, that you could maybe maybe it maybe it took one person to or one person could still do it, but it was like, hey, you had to actually kind of like pick it up and move it around right um it 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 could then be used for different purposes what if it was what if you could put say like a map in it or underneath it and use use the compass to actually plot out right or you or i yeah. guess i'm just saying is it could be a tool maybe in in a lot more of like a less like mystical way than it kind of is viewed as right mm-hmm. like the way that the way that we the think of it is is almost kind of like a magic 
as a, like a, a magic ball. And 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 I do I do think that there is a, a profound lesson to learn in when they weren't being righteous, it didn't work right. But I just wonder if we consider this functionally, if it's like, oh man, it kind of almost even demystifies it a little bit when you realize like, oh, that they could have actually been using this functionally as a tool to to be charting out distances between things and to be figuring out which way to go and stuff like that, you know, more more so than just a crystal ball, I guess. Yeah, and, and something that kind of stands out to me when Nephi's tied up on that boat and and he gets himself free. This is in uh, chapter 18 and verse 21. And it came to pass that after they had loosed me, behold, I took the compass and it did work whither I desired it. And And to me, what does it mean, whither I desired it? I mean, why whither? What are you doing with that compass? How are you using it? What are you... I, That's an interesting detail to throw in there. Yeah. But if it's in there, it's worth probably thinking about. Mm-hmm. And not just, hey, it worked again. Yeah, just automatically it pointed the way we should go. No, in fact, what it did, it, it not only did it work whither he desired it, and it came to pass that I prayed unto the Lord, and after I prayed unto the Lord, did see uh, the winds did cease, and there was a great calm. And so when he talks about it working, it's working while the winds are blowing them all over which way what, right? I mean, how is it working? If it's just a compass, is that thing just spinning like crazy as that boat moves all over the place, and you're looking at it and say, it's working, or... It's working! It's working! It's working! What's it doing? How, how is... I, I don't know. It's just interesting to think about this, this Liahona. Let me throw this out there. Okay. And the, this, this may be apples to oranges. But even when Joseph Smith was translating the plates, it, he was using a tool, right? A, let's say a seer stone or a Urim and Thummim that didn't always work either, though, right? Right. It is an interesting thing to think about that even some of these tools functionally, like maybe maybe the nature of the tool doesn't change it's the person using the tool or the people trying to use the tool that have to be in line, right? Circumscribed, that have to be in harmony with. So so maybe, again, like trying to understand what this liahona is, at least even as we've just been kind of talking about it and you've kind of thrown it out there, it's, it's been awesome to, for me to kind of go, okay, cool, where, where are all of the other little deeper meaning or deeper anchor points when you stop just thinking of this as a, again, just a mystical ball, mm-hmm. and instead going, oh, if if this is a different type of a tool, what else can we be? And and I, and you've already brought up a couple of great ones, the fixed point, the anchor point, and stuff like that too. So I guess that is the question when when Nephi has to start working it, right? Like let's just put it into our terms. So he has to he has to get it and start using it. Or, or working it to his desire again. It's not just a spinning thing that just stops spinning. And it's like, okay, now here's the way to go again. I don't know, there's something there too. Doesn't he, doesn't he even say, and it did work according to the faith and the diligence that we did that we did give it? Yeah. Uh, which it, uh, sometimes it which says... faith is work, by the way. It's work. And, and, and I think somewhere else in Alma it says the simpleness of just looking at it all you had to do was look at it, but when you start looking at how they actually applied it, it it sounds like there it required some faith, it required some working, it required some diligence 
not not just something that even then with the faith right if they're out in the wilderness using a tool and that's that's kind of another awesome idea about maybe the size of the liahona what if it is a little bit what if it is just a little bit bigger than the softball that we've said what if it's a soccer ball size right Mm -hmm. at a certain point it's still not giving you the full line here's the destination it's not giving you the full, there's no physical room that it can say, hey, here is point A to point B. In theory, it still requires faith to go, here's where it's lining up and telling us to go. And that might be into a place in the wilderness where you're like, man, I hope there's something on the other side of this. Or it might be a part of the ocean where you're like, I can't see land away from here. Maybe a lot of the faith that it's talking about in a lot of these things is the faith to go, hey, the line can literally only draw so far out and then once we get to that point we can look at, we can we can map out a new place but but we kind of have to go not knowing really what's beyond the physical limitations of this thing as well yeah i like that and and you know what you said just a second earlier too about the the putting work into it reminded me really how this whole podcast started right when we look at come follow me as as maybe an example of the liahona and and we look at some of the 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 responses to the polls and how has this helped, right? What kind of faith or diligence are we putting into this to this program? Are we just letting something else expecting it to just show us the way without much effort on our part? Or are we looking at this and saying, What 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 do I need to do to be diligent and work on it so that, that I know the direction that I need to go and I start getting those answers to me and, and all of a sudden the Liahona becomes a very living thing even for us today in, in how the scriptures are are guiding us. So I'm I'm glad you roped that in at the beginning. It just kinda of fits. Yeah, it does kind of fit. That's good. All right. It's a it's an interesting thing to think of so many of the things that we're just used to hearing or or in mentally imagining and and i would i would again hope that as always anybody listening to this that is being inspired or or has some insight to add into this we're we're just trying to kind of get your brains working but if you do have if you have some extra insight send it to us because we're we're having fun really kind of trying to think through this whole thing so well, you know what? Something we can add on this because the very next story is going to be when Nephi's bow breaks, and and that's that's like the straw that that does it for Lehi, right? He's he he's been strong with with his sons being gone on their mission for for maybe way too long. He's he's been strong with with all of their setbacks and everything that they've had to deal with, and now all of a sudden it just seems like this is maybe one setback too much, and he was a great strength for Sariah. When, when she was mourning the loss of her sons. And now to have Nephi restore confidence in him and saying, where do I need to go to find food? And, and putting that trust and that faith back in him. I almost look at that going again with these two spindles that are working in concert. Because sometimes we're like Sariah, where, where things have been, been hard and, and it's good that she had a husband there that could be that fixed point to, to help reassure her and to help her get through that to where she could believe, where we go through maybe a period of question or doubt and say, what's going to happen next? And sometimes, even though we were a Lehi to a Sariah, 
we might turn around and find that we need Nephi to our Lehi because where we were strong now, all of a sudden we're wondering and we need somebody else to put a little bit of faith or trust. And, and maybe, maybe another lesson that we can learn from this compass is that we don't, we don't do it alone. We can't do it alone. Even alone do we not rely on the Holy Ghost or God to be that second fixed point. And, and does he not expect us to walk in his shoes and to also be that fixed point for those that are lost? The, the lower lights that, that, that guide people, it's not just the one light on the, on the hill, right? That's right. Um, it's a great point. Let me, let me ask you this. There's, do you think that that's, do you think that's the only reason he went back to his dad to be like, okay, where should I go now? I think that there's I think that there's more there. Yeah? Yeah. Part of me wonders if part of me wonders if it's it's actually kind of fulfilling multiple purposes. And and tell me tell me if I'm totally off base on some of this. But doesn't it feel like part of it is also a chance to kind of subtly give his father the opportunity to repent a little bit? Do you think Nephi really had to go back to Lehi to know where he was supposed to go at this point? I mean, Nephi was the most kind of like enduring faithful one in this whole story, according to him. We'll, well just say it right away, too. Story. I'm <laughs> just saying according to him. I had to throw that caveat in there, right? But let's just take the text for it being the most correct book. Okay. okay. Um, do you think Nephi had to go back to his dad functionally to know where to go? Or do you think that that was, and, and I have a couple of these, because I'm not, I'm not even saying all of them right, but they all might be too, but they all might be wrong, I don't know. But do you think that that was maybe an opportunity to give his father by a chance to also show him respect as the patriarch, right? To also say, hey, and at the same time to go, here's an opportunity for you now to go and, and get right and, and be a fixed point for all of us again. There well, seems there seems a subtle rebuke in here too for me. There does. And what if what if because it doesn't tell us, what if Nephi did go to God, and seek that answer, and God said, "Ask your dad." That's what I'm. There you go. The answer's already there. I've already provided Leahona. I've already provided you with the prophet. Like in, in this instance, this is not something you need me to supply the answer to. Go ask your dad, and he can provide you with that. It feels like a. It feels kind of like one of those chances, or, or it feels it reads for me as when Jesus is talking to Peter after um, he's been resurrected and asks him the three times, "Do you love me?" Jesus knew the answer to the question, but it was, it almost felt like an opportunity to kind of really bring back a to make a point with this. I it reads. There, there's just a lot of depth that I think that, that, that it reads with Nephi making a purpose to go back to talk to his dad. And I, I don't think that he, I don't think that he needed to from a spiritual standpoint. I think Nephi at this point probably knew how to read the Leahona or do what the Leahona was telling him to do just fine. And I think that really, if because we don't know, he probably could have prayed and be like, "Hey, now I got the bow fixed, and we're all really hungry. Can can you help me? You know, can can you help me know where to go get some food?" It does make sense that either from like a prompting or from maybe a direct answer from God that it's like, 
go give your dad an opportunity to one reaffirm your you know trust in him as the patriarch and i would like to have him have this opportunity to go and and let me let me put this maybe in like a not to get super super personal but kind of like a day-to-day thing it's when your kids come and ask you for a blessing there is there is a a, a nice Humbling. opportunity to account right to do some self inventory and i know that i have felt this on multiple occasions and even even when i was like younger you know late teens i hadn't received the priesthood i remember a hike that i went on with my dad um and i remember even at the time for some reason it's kind of morbid but thinking like oh man what would he do what would what would i do if we were up on this mountain and it's just me and him and something were to happen to him and i remember even at that that time in my life being like i'm not really living to a place where i am you know to a place where I would be able to serve a mission or to be able to go through the temple or, or to be able to receive the Melchizedek priesthood. I, I went on a mission a little bit later because there was some, you know, there were some things in my life I wanted to, I needed to sort out before that. But it's interesting because even then I remember thinking, man, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not living in a place that I could be of service to him or to anybody in this type of a thing. And I've, I have felt that on multiple occasions, sadly, since, right? When, when, I come home and and my kids been super sick all day and and they're you know my wife or my kids like hey can I have a blessing what's the first thought that usually goes through your head right it's usually like oh man like <laughs> how were my conversations today how were my it, it, it's am it's, I ready for this as if you could ever be ready for the, it because it's something yes. that's just always happening on the yes which by the way is one of the reasons i think we're encouraged to go to the temple as often as we are too aside from aside from the awesome opportunity is to do work for other people and aside from the awesome opportunity is to learn the lessons that you learn in the temple i also think that most people probably when it's like hey i'm gonna book some time to go to the temple usually our thoughts are would I still be able to answer yes to those questions that I was asked when I got that recommend, right? And so for me, at least, the, there's a lot of that that reads in this story. The depth of this story is Nephi also went back to his dad to ask for a blessing, more or less. He went back to him to, to, to ask for, as the patriarch of this family, as, as, as a priesthood holder in this family, maybe the priesthood holder in this family, Bless me as your son that I will know what to do. Give me your blessing, right? I need you to go pray to know where this is. Showing respect in that, but also giving Lehi an awesome, merciful opportunity to go back and repent. And... and I don't want to. I don't want to take anything away from what you said because I think this no, is no. But uh, please, no, 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 no. Super valuable and and spot on. So this is a little bit minor, but it's a different perspective of this too that maybe complements it. And to say, remember that this is Nephi's reign and ministry. He's he's already slain Laban. He's carrying Laban's sword. He's yeah. He's carrying that title, that firstborn, yep. the whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. I know where you're going with this, and I think this is in harmony with what I'm saying. But please continue. Yeah, you look at. What what did what did Pharaoh do when he had those dreams? Was seek 
seek spiritual inspiration to understand. What does a good ruler do? What does the king of Babylon do when he asks Daniel to interpret the dreams? What does any king have? Is it not a cabinet of spiritual leaders? And, and so if Nephi is a good king, does he not lean heavily on his father for spiritual advice, for spiritual direction, for... This is my point, is Lehi doesn't stop being his father. Lehi, by the way, doesn't also stop being the patriarch of that family. Even if, even if, even if Nephi is, like we've talked about extensively through the last few weeks, and I'm with you on, by the way, too, even if this is the reign of Nephi as the, say, spiritual leader, say, say he is the bishop of the ward, does the bishop of the ward not still have a patriarch in his family? Right? You don't, yes. you, you, your father doesn't stop being your father just because you have a calling, just because you have a position. Well, and, and Christ himself did not stop relying on That's God exactly every right. step of the way. There, we are never at a point in our life that we are so empowered, that we are so confident that we can't rely on somebody else or something else for spiritual help and guidance. This is, yes, nailed it for me. And, by the way, too, there is something also that it's like, Lehi, Father, you have probably done this so much, too. Give me some advice. Like, I'm, I'm just saying, like, there's so much more here than just, this is my reign. I know what I'm doing. I He probably did. He's the one that actually was out there physically strong, doing the physical work himself, and was still humble enough to do it but was still inspired enough to go back. I'm just saying there's so many there's so many n- nice harmonizing things that all have to do with this simple act that I think there's there's a lot to take away from that. Well, it reminds me of when Jesus asked John the Baptist to baptize him. That's right. That's and, exactly right. And does not Christ ask us to do things? You're like, wait a second, you're God, you can do everything. Why do you need do you remember my how we, we literally just talked about this a few weeks ago yep. when we were talking again about John the Baptist, where one of the things that I had thought about when we were listening, somebody had brought up John the Baptist and him, him not feeling worthy to baptize Jesus. Literally, we said, I bet you when Jesus went to him and said, Hey, John, I need you to baptize me. It was even less so of like, oh, hey, I, I know who you are and I know who I am. It was probably more, maybe, John going, oh, man, I I know my weaknesses. I know the things that I'm still working on. I, I know my sins. This is This puts me in a tough position. I really do. You know, it's, it was probably a huge personal inventory for John the Baptist when he was initially asked to do that. And still, Jesus said specifically, it is, it is us that need to fulfill all righteousness. I, because Jesus also knew. I also know your shortcomings and your sins, and I'm still here to ask you to do this. And so I, I'm glad you bring up the John the Baptist connection there, too. Thank goodness we have family. Thank goodness we have children, fathers. Yeah, I mean, wives, uh, mothers, husbands, mothers, mothers, I, and 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 ministers, friends, ward, bishop, patriarchs, people we can count on. Like the Lord does not expect us to do this alone. My kids, even at the youngest of ages, 
I feel like now that I'm just really kind of like settling into this thought late on this, it's shocking how even my children at young ages give me the opportunity to realign my stubbornness in a lot of ways and, and to check myself in a lot of ways. And simple day-to-day things. And again, I, I think that it's it, the obvious one is, yeah, when your kids come and ask you for a blessing, you go, am I, you, uh, yes, but you need to give me a few minutes to maybe go and fix some things. Give me a few minutes to kind of go and get get aligned with God again before before I would feel comfortable being able to use the authority to do that. But maybe even on a smaller scale, for me at least, you know, I've, I've told the story about even simple things like my son's basketball game where, again, I'm, I'm up in the stands going like, oh, no, you gotta, you got to be way more physical and you got to be mean and you got to do all of this stuff. And, you know, and on the car ride home, my son's going, I, I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to be mean. I don't like that they're not playing within the rules, but that doesn't mean that I have to. And I'm up in the front seat sobbing. Like, yes, thank you for teaching me that lesson, right? Hopefully at no point as children or as parents we ever get to the point where we're like, hey, we're the ones now only doing the directing and and not asking for that advice or not, or, you know, not seeking that advice from either our parents or feeling like we can't be learning lessons from our kids. I bet you I bet you my my bow on this so we don't just drag this on for too much longer is for me at least I bet you Lehi was also probably pretty appreciative in a lot of ways that Nephi came and asked him and I bet you that 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 um realignment or that that chance at going and getting right with God again for Lehi probably it meant a lot to him but to also that his son still held him in high enough regard to go and ask him for advice even though he had he had kind of broke right yeah this one broke him lehi and the bow broke <laughs> <laughs> nephi helped to fix both though it's all good it's it's all it's all good um there's something about this too that reads different now when we're looking at the the compass versus compass okay and this is uh verse 16 and it came to pass that i nephi beheld the pointers now now he calls them pointers do you call the spindle on a compass a pointer, and maybe it's pointing the right direction. But what if it's, what if it's a compass that has uh, pointers, right? Now, yeah. now thinking about this, I thought it was just the one that that told him which direction to go. He says the pointers which were in the ball, that they did work according to the faith and diligence which I gave them, and and then this is where the writing shows up on the ball, and and that blows them all away. Uh, but it, it it says, um. It says that they told him, let's see, let's go verse 30. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, did go forth up into the top of the mountain according to the direction which were given on the ball. Now, if if we're talking about just a compass, a compass does not tell you distance, and it doesn't tell you altitude. But if you're talking about a compass, a, a, a cartographer, a, a architectural, or how we're talking about this compass, you can tilt it to get elevation, and you can extend it to get distance to where you could pinpoint a location up in a mountain, or you could pinpoint a location and say, this is how far you need to go. You can't tell how far you need to go 
with just a single stick pointing a single direction. But if you have two pointers and you can manipulate them and swing them at a different angle or move them, you can now you can start getting details that you wouldn't be able to get otherwise, which I, I find interesting. Also, it's a great just little bump symbolism that where did he go? Where did it tell him to go to get spiritually fed as well as physically fed? That's it. The mountains. When, 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 when you're in apostasy, right? And, and really in short, that's kind of what they're going from. And, and this is playing on a very common symbol in the Old Testament and the scriptures. Lack of food is often associated with apostasy. And where you go to get spiritually fed, you're also going to get physically fed. Yeah. And, and that connection's made pretty strong here. Love it. I know we're probably like yeah, doesn't matter. We got we're we're bringing the meat. We're, remember, we're our we're the dentures, dude. We're the we're the come follow me dentures, dude. We're adding that into the bio. Wow. No, we're not, but we should. Oh, that's great. Let's keep going because we got some good boat stuff that we want to talk about. We, we do, and and so I'm gonna try to. I'm just gonna tell you guys right now. There might be a lot that's gonna get left kind of on the chopping floor. There's no way we can cover everything, but we're gonna cover maybe some of the more significant symbolism to kind of wrap this episode up. I think. Okay. When we get to the boat, and and I'm sorry, I'm leaving out some of the amazing. Nephi filled with the power of God to where his brothers are Zapping afraid they're going to get. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Jesus is like, no, go shock them. Go, go shuffle your feet and poke them with your finger. Yeah, like this. Except for with a lot more power. And, and you know, there's, there's so many similarities, guys. If you're reading through this, with with the the Old Testament Exodus, and I think Nephi is is laying a lot of this on. In fact, when Moses comes from the presence of God. His his face is shining with glory, and the people are afraid to approach him. And and then you have this similar experience with Nephi here in this this boat building. And anyhow, I, I mean the, the the whole story is impressive. When 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 he's praying to God, and and God says, "Build the boat. Where do I go to get ore?" I'm like, oh, well, he was definitely a metalsmith. Well, then how do you explain all of the way he works the wood? Well, he's definitely a woods. I don't know. Nephi was what he needed to be. He wasn't afraid to learn new skills and, and, and to pick things up and do whatever it was that the Lord asked him to and trusted that he would be enabled and learned how to figure it out. He was. It's a cool story. They build the boat, and, I, and I'm going to fast forward to, to them on the boat. And this says, as I'm fast forwarding through my pages, Mm-hmm. That that Laman and Lemuel, right? The the, the okay, so chapter eighteen. The, the the book is the 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 ship is finished. Uh, verse three. And I Nephi did go into the mount oft, and I did pray oft unto the Lord. Wherefore the Lord showed unto me great things. And and kind of bridging off where we stopped with with Nephi going into the mountain to get food. Right. We we see that comparison again. And and there's a couple critical words in this. Right. Oft. Like you keep saying, Nate, in this episode and the episode last time, how often do we go to the temple? Is that is that something that we are willing to do ourselves, or we just wait for somebody to take care of that for us? Him going off is significant, and then it, it almost seems like his his signature move. He showed unto me great things. He just he just sums it up with great things and leaves it at that. Right? We don't know what he learned. We don't know what he saw. We don't we don't know the experiences that that happened to him came to pass that the voice of the Lord came unto my father that we should go down and we should go into the ship. You know, it's it's probably worth mentioning 
I've, I've skipped past this, and, I, and I'm just thinking about it now as it says the voice of the Lord came to his father that they should go into the ship. We, I, I'm just going to take a little, little detour. I think sometimes we give Laman and Lemuel a really bad rap for, for their murmuring yes. and, and, and whatnot. Well, and that whole trying to kill everybody thing. And, yes. and trying to kill. I mean, I think they kind of earned it too, but yeah, okay, keep going. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> when you think about, it's a matter of perspective. Okay. Nephi talks about how they couldn't light a fire in the wilderness, and, and and so the Lord's providing them the light in the form of this Leahona that's going to guide them. And, and it's similar to the, 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 the Israelites. They have a pillar of fire and a column of smoke, but they can't do that because then people will know where they are, and they're kind of on the lamb, right? So as they're running in the wilderness, Nephi says, what a great blessing that the Lord made our, our meat sweet so that we could eat it raw. And you're like... Sushi. Yeah, and, and Nephi's like reveling this. Like, we could eat raw meat, and, and it was good. And, and our women, you know, what a great blessing that they were made mighty like unto men, and, and they were able to provide for their kids. Okay, there's a flip side to that coin. Did you really think this through? We're eating raw meat. What if we get sick? And and our women are going through such a hard thing, bearing children in the wilderness. They almost died. There's no midwives here helping take care of them. The, the, things aren't sanitary. We're we're going through hell, putting our our families' lives at risk, and you're forcing us to eat raw meat. There's Nephi singing praises to God about how wonderful this is, and Laman and Lemuel are like, "You lost your mind. How do you think this is so wonderful?" And then you think we're going to jump in some boat and just get lost at sea? You've got to understand something about seafaring at this time period, at this time in this area of the world. They did not go out to sea. They built boats that were always within sight of the shore, and they traveled up the shore to the next port where they could see. If they got caught out to sea, they were goners. It was a bad situation. You don't just build this boat and push it off and launch out into the great deep and hope that there's something on the other end of that, usually that's death. For Laman and Lemuel, from a very logical, you've, you've, you've taken us away from Jerusalem, you've made us eat raw meat, you won't even let us make a fire to cook our food, and now you're just going to launch us into the ocean? They ah. have, they, they have <laughs> some serious... Launch us into the ocean. Sorry, that was just a funny way to say that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. They've got some serious concerns. All right, Layman and Lemuel, you didn't want to get launched out into the ocean. <laughs> if, if they're doing it, not because God asked them to, but because they're delirious or they, they belong in a sane asylum, then wouldn't it be extremely irresponsible of them to just follow along and, and keep catering to their brother's delusions and their dad's deliriousness? So I think... I think even the Lord sees their plight, their situation, and what they're going through. And asking big things requires big signs, I think. God's not just going to have them go out there and trust in what may or may not be the delusions of their brother and their father. And so the voice of God himself speaks to Laman and Lemuel and tells them, this is right. This is a rare thing happening in scriptures. Where often do we hear the voice of God speaking 
to to people from from heaven. It doesn't happen very often. It happened when Christ was baptized. It happens when Christ comes to the earth. And and we've already talked about how Nephi's kind of this Christ type figure to have the Father God speaking and vouching for Nephi is almost like him saying, This is my beloved son. And it, it puts him in a very interesting position symbolically. And and I feel like you know, we want answers to our prayers. We want a big experience to help us know that this is true, and this is the Book of Mormon, is the Word of God, and this is the church. And, and we sit there, and we're waiting for the voice of God to speak to us from heaven and say, well, Laman and Lemuel heard the voice of God. Surely I've got to be better off than them, right? Consider the position that they were in. They've got to know, is my dad or brother institutional? What they're asking us to do is crazy. I think I think desperate times calls for desperate measures, and I think God was was very merciful and understanding of their plight and maybe even sympathetic for what they're going through, and knowing that a lot of their concern and anger and frustration with their dad and their brother comes from concern and love and fear for their own wife and children and family that they're trying to care for. That's fair. That's fair. That's, that's a very fair... You're giving, you're, we can give them this one. That's... All right, let's keep going. We're, we are for sure out of time, and I know we want to hit the boat real quick. <laughs> all, right, all right, boat, boat, boat. So chapter 18, they're on this boat, and and here we go. Sorry, turn the page too far. Chapter 18. And we did put forth, this is verse 8, into the sea, and were driven forth before the wind towards the promised land. And and again, the promised land, this idea of of headed to the promised land, it's very symbolic of Eden, paradise, and, and this idea that this Liahona is bringing them back into paradise, the Garden of Eden, the promised land, that, that, that's worth mentioning. Verse 9, and after we had been driven forth before the wind for the space of, and this is critical, I think, many days, behold, my brethren, and the sons of Ishmael and also their wives began to make themselves merry, and so much that they began to dance and to sing and to speak with much rudeness, yea, even that they did forget by what power they had been brought. And so Nephi was worried that they were going to cause their destruction. I think this story fits so well in every story we have about seafaring. And and there are there are whole articles and books written on this, when you are, are, are lost out at sea, not even lost per se, but you could say lost because you can't see land. You don't know how long it's going to take there. And you know you have to live on everything in the boat. And everything that's in the boat is diminishing day after day. How long is it going to last? How long before you get there? There's a lot of pressure. And you can't just go somewhere else because somebody's bothering you. You're stuck on the same small boat living in a house per se. You can't just... You, you don't have room to run around. You can't go hunt for animals. You can't go blow off steam. You're stuck in a small, confined space. How many seafaring stories do you hear about mutiny, about about people murdering each other, about casting people out into the deep, about um, sailors that end up being cannibalistic in the lifeboats because they, they, they you know, there's some crazy things that happen at sea. And, and you talk about sailors and... and for whatever reason, they're seven times more likely to, to end up in in mental problems, hallucinations, drinking, just all sorts of things. I mean, the stage is set. And so when they're out at sea, they start 
you've got all of this pressure. You've got all of this mounting. What do you turn to? Well, you've got drink. You've got barley. You've got grains. You've got fruits. You've got wine. They're hitting the bottle. They're they're trying to drown out some of the things, and they're making themselves merry. And and this is this is not surprising. This is actually it would almost be more surprising to not expect a story like this to happen. It it just kind of seems to fit with everything I imagine is seafaring. Anyhow, when this happens, they tie up Nephi, and and this is this is kind of a good point with what we're talking about with the with compass. When they tie up Nephi. They say they bind him so that he can't move. If they just tie him up with ropes by himself, I mean, that, that, that guy can still roll around. He can still move. But they've fixed him to a point to where he can't move. To me, that means they've tied him to, to a beam, to, to wood, to, to where he is immobile. And, and the imagery, again, and it's so interesting, going back to that compass, right, being fixed to a point. Isn't this, isn't this also Christ who was fixed to the cross for us? And that process of being fixed to the cross is what fixes us to him, why we're engraven in his hands, and why he, you know, it's, 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 it's symbolic too. And I, and I think it's interesting, Christ, his ministry lasts for three and a half years. And then if you look at it and consider that, that late at night, on Wednesday, and he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's captured, and then you have the Thursday trial, and, and him being crucified, and this is lasting Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and into Sunday when he resurrects, you're talking about three and a half days, or on the fourth day, and here you have Nephi, and on the fourth day he's set free, the symbolism, he becomes almost like the Savior who was fixed to the wood, crucified, and for the whole three and a half days that this is going on, darkness, storm, destruction, this is prophesying what's going to happen to Nephi and his seed when Christ dies. And, and so for me, this chapter really takes Nephi and personifies Christ, and, and, and through him, you start to see that prophecy of what's going to happen. He's not just prophesying, but he's living it. And I think that's what's fascinating about God is his ability to create prophecies in the lives of his prophets, to create these symbols of Christ and to be an artist in time, in history, in our lives, to use us as a medium, the potter's clay. And as much as his brothers wanted to protest and fight and destroy and kill Nephi, they're, they're playing the role. They're fulfilling the prophecy as much as the Jews hated Christ and wanted to crucify him, they're fulfilling the role. Even those that fight against Christ end up fulfilling his designs, his plans. It cannot be frustrated. As much as we fight against it, we're going to play a role one way or another. What role we play is up to us, but either way, it's going to fulfill God's plan. Well said. Anything else you want to hit? You know, um, Chapter 22 is amazing. 21, I, I'm, I'm sorry we can't give it all justice. I'll just finish uh, chapter 22. We get into some Isaiah chapters, and Nephi quotes Isaiah, and it's fascinating because you can see him seeing himself through Isaiah's eyes when Isaiah starts talking about the Jews that are scattered to the isles of the sea. And you know what? I think a lot of this we can actually get into when we get into Jacob 5 and that the allegory of the olive tree and the yep. scattering and the gathering or whatnot. So I'll leave that for your own discovery. Just know 
you know, we had we had twenty pages to cover and we hit a few highlights. There's a lot there's a lot that's getting yeah, left out. That's what stood out to us. And there is I bet you that if we were to be like, Cool, we're doing a part two of this next week, we could go through and do another eighty minutes of of all the other stuff we didn't cover and as much as we would like to do that. That's kind of the fun of it, right? That's is that the fun we of it. is that we uh We'll leave it here. Is that we get to leave it here. Yeah, there it is. Um yeah, it's it's been it's been a, a good thing for um, for me, you know, Jason. As we've been doing these things, just the the conversations that we really have over text and that we have driving to the studio and back home and things like that. It's I just I want to just reiterate. I kind of want to come full circle and and finish where we started, which is there's so much depth. There's so many incredible things that I feel like are there waiting to be enjoyed and and waiting to be learned i just wanted again i guess testify that that there is that that with the help of the spirit i don't even think it takes nearly as much effort as i think we would think it 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 would sometimes if we go in with the purpose of like really just trying to like find new meaning and depth in the scriptures it's it's low-hanging fruit in a lot of these cases if we're willing to go in and put the work in but that if we are doing that you know god's there to 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 give it to us he's there to show it to us and nephi said it a lot of that stuff is just plain right like a lot of that stuff is there to be read and to be understood if if nothing else jason and i hope that this podcast can continue to inspire you to go in and just feast and and have and have such an an awesome experience you know enjoying enjoying the the meat well said um thank you for listening you can get a hold of us the email address hi at weeklydeepdive.com we greatly appreciate you sharing this with your friends um we really appreciate the feedback that we get after each episode and and um the love and support um if if you would ever like to know how to support us, the best way to do it is just share this with your friends and hit us with an email, you know, asking a question or giving us your insight, um, leaving reviews on the various um, podcasting um, listening apps and um, outlets helps a ton. Leave it, leaving reviews is really is really a positive thing that can help us. So if, if you do enjoy this podcast, we, we greatly appreciate your support there. Um, I think that's it. So until next week. See ya.